Do you go back to Thailand in November? Uh, well, actually, I go back to Malaysia <laughs> just for a retreat uh, in, in the Cameron Highlands. And uh, Cameron Highlands has now made me uh, just like a 10% of a tea aficionado because they grow tea there. Oh, so really? now when I drink tea, I think, is this as good as, as bow tea? <laughs> and this is, this is very good tea. <coughs> Actually, um, so with Ajahn Achala, who's my abbot, we, um, he, every year he gives a retreat in Malaysia. And for the last few years, it's been in the Cameron Highlands. There's a, a Chinese Mahayana temple way up there. It's about 5,000 feet elevation, oh, good tea country, and you know, hundreds of acres of hedges, right, basically. Right, right. And, um, uh, and uh, the first time I went with him, though, we went to Penang, up to Brothers Bungalow. Um, Penang Hill is a culvert. Yeah, that's quite a very impressive sight. Wait. Seeing the monsoon rains come out <laughs> through Georgetown, and um, and yeah, so I'll I'll meet him. I'll get there a couple of days early so I can get over some jet lag, and then we'll we'll go up to the Cameron Highlands and uh, he have a has a nine day retreat there. So I just help out a little bit there, and then we return to Thailand from there. Yeah. So. And Ajahn Chelo's monastery is uh, located where? It's. It's in Pechabun province, and so I sort of call that North Central. Um, basically, you know, because Bangkok is quite central in Thailand, yes. and uh, so it's about five, six hours north by road oh. from, from Bangkok in Pechabun. Yeah. And uh, in a very, uh, one part of Pechabun is called Khao Khao, and it's a very mountainous, very hilly, undulating kind of uh, geography. And, and uh, so we live there, and we're at about 880 meters in elevation. So it's a little bit cooler, a little bit drier than most other places. Dunk Shield has been there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good spot. Um, he's got, he's got last couple of punches. He's had about six bhikkhus on site, and. Um, when it started out, though, it would be just the two of us sometimes, or two or three of us. And, but now it's, it's uh, becoming a bit of, uh, you know, it's on people's maps, on uh, Bikus maps. So. You said you're building new lay accommodation underneath That's the right, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, we have enough uh, sort of foreign visitors, especially because we have a lot of uh, close uh, um, students from Malaysia. That are that have known Achinachalo now for years, and so they'll they'll come up a couple of times a year, and they they like the possibility of coming up for retreats, and so we've we're, we're just finishing off um, a building that existed, but but making it suitable for you know men and women's accommodations, uh, sort of filling in the, the what was just there wasn't even a basement, but but it's been completely excavated and and uh, concreted in and plumbed and electrified uh, for the men downstairs and the women above. So it'll mean sort of like a bus load, uh, a good van load of, of Malaysians or you know, people can now come on retreat. So that's, that's, that's very nice. And there is uh, one Canadian man, I don't think he's been here, his name is Mike Adair, but he's, uh, he worked for um, 
CETA and the UN for many years. His whole career has been sort of development stuff in Africa and in uh, Nepal and other places. So he and he's been. I think the first time he visited Watanacha was in about 1983 or something. So he's been involved with Buddhism for a long time. And and when he remarried, he married a Thai woman. So they have a piece of property now. Basically, our first neighbors going down on our bindabad every morning are Mike and Vaughn. Uh, it's a very, very nice relationship. And uh, sometimes people have been able to stay with, with them too because they have a large accommodation in their basement. So, um, yeah, it's... it's uh, because Ajahn Achalo is... Um, he... In order, in order for the monastery to be a place for him to practice, he... In his mind, he, he can't be a teacher of ties, because if you become sort of well known, and as a as a foreign monk, you're, you know you you do stand out. Plus, he's six three, you know, <laughs> well, he's about your height or maybe not quite. But um, um, uh, you, you, if you have any degree of fame at all in Thailand as a teaching monk. Um, they won't let you alone. You know, they're, <laughs> they're there all the time. They come and you know they come by the bus load, by the, come by cab. They they want to see, and it's just you know it may just be oh just five minutes kind of thing. But if it's thirty people a day, you know, <laughs> it's, so um, yeah, uh, we uh, we certainly have many uh, Thai you know friends and supporters and and. Uh, and uh, our villagers down below our, our, our monastery, where we go bindabad every morning, they're uh, they're very they're very proud actually to have us the monastery there. So that's a, a very close and very uh, sweet relationship. But uh, yeah, in terms of being a kind of teacher of meditation and giver of dhamma talks and all of that, he he stays away from that. So he teaches in Malaysia and Singapore, and he teaches in Australia. So. That's his, that's his, his plan. We'll see if it, how well it works over the years. <laughs> so when people do the retreats, uh, they do they on their own? Or? Yeah, um, we don't have retreats per se there. Once in a while there's been a group of Thais that we know very well and they've come up and, you know, and then there's a bit of instruction that, but right. but not in the way that you'd recognize it from here. Um, but yeah, but what people do is they just they just fold into the monastic routine. Right. Uh, uh, they can use the dhamma hall when when you know whether or not we're there. Right. Uh, we have a, a, the uh, what's called a tamo ien, the the evening meditation chanting most nights. So that's available. And then mealtime is a good time to chat with monks or get a bit of instruction or just check in. And uh, yeah, so if a person had meditation questions, that would be a good time. But, but yeah, we're, we don't have sort of formal retreats in the way you'd recognize them now from the West. Ask whether you know Brother Raymond in in, in Penang. Does that ring a bell, Raymond? Uh, no, different circle of friends, I guess. Yeah. Do we know lots of Malaysians, but but. Um, Do you have his school name? 
I don't, and I forgot his wife's name too. So, yeah, and sometimes they they. But anyway, I think that Penang is where where he's from. They're from, but they've I'm not sure if they live there still or whether they're now in Bang in uh, Kale. Yeah. <laughs> Brother Teo, does that does he ring a bell? He's he's a kind of lay teacher in in Kale. Brother Teo, no, yeah. There's so many uh, little communities. In I understand. Yeah. In yeah. Very, and I'm sure all very well organized. <laughs> What's the name of the temple? Uh, Ajahn will be staying in uh, Cameron. Yeah, I don't know. What's it called now? I mean, it's the only one that I know of. It's quite a big place. Yeah. Um, it, I'm sure it would hold a couple hundred lay people because uh, we stay on one floor in, in some rooms, but there are, I think, two more above us. Right. And and then it's a, it's a it's a functioning <coughs> temple, so there are uh, uh, monks and nuns, and they have their own routine. You know the bells and so forth, chanting will go on at different times. A very nice, very nice atmosphere, but very Mahayana and very you know, all kinds of colorful statues and things. Um, sampo, sampo, does that ring a bell? Or? Yeah, I'm not sure how long it's been there, but it's. I'd say at least, you know, 50 years or so, something like that. And uh, yeah, as far as I know, it's the only one there, but I, you know, I haven't been around too much. I mean, we, at the end of retreat, we tend to go to the Bo Tea place, <laughs> have some tea, and if we get there early in the day, some crumpets. <laughs> and, uh, you know. I didn't get the Ajahn's name. Uh, I gen my uh, yeah. my, uh Pavaro. 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 Yes, P A V A R O. The only tricky thing about it is that there are no there are no diacritics, no long A's, so it isn't Pavaro or Pavaro or it's just Pavaro. That's right. Yeah, I was there for uh, most of the month. I was. I got there early June, left on the 29th. But which monastery were you? Well, I visited um, Bodhivan in, in outside of Melbourne, but I was at the BSV, Buddhist, Buddhist Society of Victoria, uh, really started by Sri Lankans, big big Sri Lankan community in Melbourne, mm -hmm. and uh, and I've been I've stayed there uh, uh, twice now. And this is the longest day. Was, you know, they like to have a resident monk, so I was sort of a resident teacher for that time. And uh, they have, oh, what do they have? Uh, once a month they'll have a, a, a Saturday meditation, mm -hmm. like a, a morning, no, it's a day retreat, yeah. And uh, then Sunday mornings there's a talk, and Tuesday evenings there's a talk. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of fit into that schedule. Yeah, a lot of uh, there's a lot of activity actually in, in Australia. Buddhist activity, a lot of Buddhist, uh, even like in the Ajahn Chah tradition. You know, there are several monasteries, and I can't really speak to other traditions, but I'm sure there's quite a bit. Yeah, I've got to go because actually, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I led this pilgrimage to the holy sites in India. A few years ago, and about half of the half of the group were, were Australians, 
and most of them are Sri Lankans from the Melbourne area. And, so, and several of them are going again. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously, the, the, the great uh, sacred places in India have a lot to offer. So, so that's very nice. Uh, I'll be able to see more of them. And I saw them all when I was there, so <laughs> quite nice. It's next February, so slowly, slowly things are starting. You know, I'm starting to have to keep my eye on dates and, and remember to communicate certain things. And <clears throat> Chitta Suba is coming. Did you hear? Have you seen her? Yeah, so we were just in Wisconsin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, but she's very excited. Yeah. She's never been to India. I was just asking a few questions. But I also had the opportunity to cross paths with Jeannie and Abhayagiri. Oh, yeah. Is she going as well? Jeannie? Jeannie... Um, oh, you mean uh, 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 Tess? Mm. Tess is coming. She's at Birkin. Oh, at Abhayagiri, did you say? Yeah. Oh, Jeannie is, Jeannie is coming? Well, I thought so. She really wanted to. Oh, maybe she's uh, I think she... Well, I mean, unless she's... She, you know, what happened is some there was another thing that was sort of pending and it was possible too and she said she has these two amazing possibilities and i think she's chosen the other thing i see yeah yeah okay yeah she was very she may not have known at the moment that i saw her maybe so yeah yeah and uh there's a steward at birkin who's going tests okay yeah uh i can't remember her poly name right now okay yeah and then and then uh other people from alberta and british columbia Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So do both of you, Ajahn Achilo, do you have full groups at this point? Um, see, Ajahn Achilo, I'm pretty sure, is full. Um, and his goal, I think he leaves on the 13th of March, or 13th of February into March. And mine is just about full now. And uh, um, there, I'm waiting for, there's, it's possible that a, a Stephen B., they might, they might come, Lovely. and um, and then there's a, a mother, uh, there's a, a woman and her mother who can come if the woman, the young woman, can get her time off from her boss, and he was out of the country, so, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just just about there, I think. Yeah. I I've got more leeway. I, I just I set my 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 perfect target a little lower than because <laughs> smaller is is yeah. good. <laughs> But there's there's lots of room in the bus, so I could I could uh, I could allow more if I if they, if they wanted to come, I guess. These pilgrimage in in India, some people do it in five days, which which if you've done it, five days, <laughs> just almost you get all. You those buses traveling. All oh boy, oh boy, it's like a triathlon or something. Now there's a direct flight from Bangkok to Bogai. That's yeah, and that's been that's uh, Thai Air has been Sorry. doing that for quite a few years. Oh. Um, one of the reasons that there are more people coming to Bogaya now in India is that there are more international carriers that now can, like the Burmese, maybe the Cambodian and Lao, okay. maybe or you know, Vietnamese. You know, several Asian carriers now can fly directly to Gaya. And 
um, the big change this year is that uh, Thai Air now flies in and out of Lucknow as well, which means that we've changed the itinerary a little bit. So instead of instead of the last couple of days involving you know being in Lumbini and then taking a bus to Sarnath uh, or to, to, to Varanasi, which is a, a 15 hour bus drive. Boy, that's quite a, that's quite a trip. Uh, now, uh, now the trip will be from, from Lumbini to, I can't remember now, Savati maybe. And then it's maybe a couple of hours just to, to Lucknow after that. So much more. Uh, that, that's the end of the trip. That was, that was quite, quite an adventure. You do a lot of chanting on the bus, you know, just to <laughs> for, you know, pass the time. But we, we take uh, quite... Uh, I think our last trips were uh, 21 days. This one is going to be 19 days, or it's 22 days. This will be 20 days, um, and um, so and seven, you know, seven is quite common, or 12. So we take quite a long time, and uh, the object being to be able to visit the the main sites several times to meditate and chant and make dedications and. You know, whatever we do, think of your parents and make marriage for them, however that's conceived. But uh, it's so it's kind of a retreat. Not we're not sort of tourists just sort of ticking off the the uh, thing. But of course, it's um, uh, if 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 the only way you could do it was in five or seven days, it would still be worth it. I think. Do you spend a lot of time at Buga itself? We do. Yeah, I think this time we're there four nights. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's good enough time. You know, one of the one of the days we oh let's see, is it in the, yeah? I guess the early afternoon we go off to um, to uh, the, the kind of meditation cave where he practices austerities, but that's the only real. I think maybe one afternoon there's an opportunity to visit some of the international temples, but otherwise, you know, it's it's going each day to the Mahabodhi temple and just kind of participating in the the thrumming, vibrant life of that place, yeah. noisy, <coughs> most, of the, most of the time of day. Um, that just reminded of a question that Shemusiva had. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll get back to her, maybe she'll ask you. She was thinking about the prisoners who she works with and inviting them to maybe either write something, a dedication, something that she could carry on their behalf. And mm -hmm. she didn't know if there would be a specific place along the way or an occasion or opportunity to make an offering, leave an offering, or any uh, offering ideas. in terms, you mean, of uh, these slips of paper or something? That was one idea as we were just talking about possibilities. But any thoughts you have about if she wanted to kind of make this a collective journey? Also yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lovely, lovely that, idea. It? It's really, mm. she's very big hearted. <laughs> So if you think of anything, whether now yeah, or later, yeah, yeah. she can, yeah, that's she, a would, neat, yeah. she would be happy to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's so good for them to be thinking in outer, outward that's terms and, and aspirational terms. Yeah. That's what she was thinking, and for her to be able to take it to these places mm -hmm. on their yeah, behalf and yeah. come back and report back to their, them. Their emissary to yeah. you know, some sacred sites, yeah, yeah. very nice. Hmm. Just trying to think of some place to burn them or, you know, in some little... Uh, 
Mahabodhi temple not a good place for that. They don't want you to burn incense even uh, or candles because the 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 the, the, um, the vitality of the tree itself. Sure. And is um, there a possibility of burying anything there? Not there. I don't think. Or anywhere along the rim. Oh, India. <laughs> <laughs> That was just Jita's yeah, idea. I just, but I was just thinking, you know, some place that she could then report it had some meaning. That's you know. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay. Uh, she could, you know, we could we could drop them in the Ganges or something. That would be beautiful. I mean, too. a little bit of paper in the Ganges isn't going to make a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be the, that. That would be the first. Uh, First stop to we'll be going to the burning ghats, and uh, yeah. Mm. How did the prisoners? Uh, did they must have enjoyed seeing Lumpur Sichito? Yeah, I think um, one gentleman. It was towards the like three quarters of the way in, and he was remarking. He's like. You know, at first you came in and, you know, wasn't quite sure, but something, like, really stirred since you've been talking, and it's like, you're the real deal, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, they, Because he just opened it up to Q&A, because he said, I don't, I don't know what, what, what you're interested in. Yeah. And so at first it's these more philosophical, something I read in a book, can you talk about this? But then it becomes about, like, my pain and suffering, and unfortunately, Oh, okay. Yeah, we were there for about two hours, I think. And yeah, the first question I had is, uh, I want to know how to deal with my anger. <laughs> wow, know. right out yeah, of yeah. yeah, we did a bit of a guided minute, because we had more time. So. Yeah, sure. And, uh, uh, but yeah, you if you're in the middle of, and that's a, what, a medium security? That or? one was medium. Yeah, and in prisons, the population is kind of mobile, too, so they could be that's some right. people who are come from you know high security, yeah. and then they filter through other places. For me, though, it was my first time in a prison, and um, and I had just come off a retreat. <laughs> so just kind of, it, I don't know, not, it, it, there's this sense, like, their urgency was so felt. Yeah. Their interest and real, like, intensity around yeah, it was, yeah. like, so palpable after doing a 10-day retreat where yeah. You know, people are uncomfortable about the food and about the <laughs> the heat and the squeaky floor, and then you come here and it's like <laughs> it was inspiring for me. Yeah, just talking about a friend we have in in Wisconsin, and uh, she lives in Madison with her husband. And uh, I have a son, actually, who lives in Wisconsin, so when I've gone to visit him, I've also spent a couple of nights with, with this woman and her husband, Norm. And, um, and, uh, and my son lives, you know, 45 minutes away or something. So the last time I went, um, uh, the lady, she's started volunteering at going to prisons, talking about mindfulness and things like that. So uh, she's been now be doing this. I think. A couple of times ago, when I so about four years ago, that was she was just about to start, and so she's been doing it for quite a while now. Yeah. And uh, 
she, I think she goes to maybe three several different locations. Several, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the last time I went, I had this opportunity. She she invited me to to visit uh, one of the prisons. Yes, very interesting. And apparently, Ajahn Jyoti Palo just got was there and also went. Oh yeah. <laughs> she took him. Oh yeah. Yeah, they'll start to get used to. <laughs> yeah, books, I mean, yeah, which is great. <laughs> I can't remember. I might have been the first. I can't remember. I think she said you were Is the first. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So do you teach them in the Buddhist way or just mindfulness? Yeah, I think I, I did have some parameters because, uh, like, they, they have committees, like uh, the, the oversight, you know. Uh, so the, I think the chaplain at different, yeah. there'll, there'll be a specific religious person who's kind of over overseeing the various events of this kind right. at these different prisons so it depends on which prison sometimes you you couldn't say talk about buddhism maybe so you talk about mindfulness and right. and, and, and and compassion and yeah. all kinds of other things or watching your breath fine but maybe not buddhism yeah. uh, it seems to me she's got two groups one might be eastern religions or buddhism and then the other might be mindfulness so there, it's quite specific, and so it's also important for the prisoners because if you're, uh, you can only you can only sign up for one religion. That's so right. if you go to Jehovah's That's Witness, right. which is its own religion, there's I think Jehovah's Witness Catholic and Christian or something, something like that. So you know if you sign up for one, you can't go to the other. There's that, but you could go to mindfulness. Right. So it's all it's all obviously very regulated. That's how I remember it. So I don't actually remember if I was able to uh, talk about uh, Buddhism as such. But uh, we have our ways of getting around these, <laughs> these constraints. <laughs> how was the response? Yeah. Well, it varied, you know. I mean, it was very good. There were about 20 men there. and. Um, um, I mean, you could tell very different characters, you know, uh, quiet and, you know, very withdrawn. And For instance, just to give you an example, um, normally when you do a little guided meditation, you know, okay, sit in your chair, and, you know, back's quite straight, and close your eyes, and, da, da, and then someone, and then someone whispered to me, uh, they don't, some of them won't feel comfortable closing their eyes in a public place. Because of fear, right? You you don't close your eyes when something could happen. So you you get these little reminders that you're in a very different environment. But um, but yeah, they had they had um, they had good deep uh, probing kinds of questions. And um, as as we're both saying, I mean, uh, uh, it comes from their own sense of urgency or. Um, some kind of um, clear or unclear difficulty that they are, are trying to sort out or have been living with for decades or what have you, you know. Which isn't to say that the whole session for me was just them unloading difficulties, but just asking questions. But you just, you just know that the questions come from a very, um, uh, from a place of uh, sincerity. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's different answering a question about anger with someone who's in the jail, in, in a prison, possibly for killing somebody, uh, you know, out of anger maybe. 
So, uh, and and who, whose life might be threatened every once in a while within the prison. I mean, prisons are dangerous and, and extremely uh, contested places and spaces. So uh, prison life is, from what I understand, very complex and, you know, so um, have to respect that too. You know. Did they talk about God or no? I can't remember whether they whether they uh, whether they did or not. Yeah. Um, I'm sure many of them or some of them would be would have at least had a background in quite devout Christianity. Um, yeah, I, I expect all of them there. Their original, if they had any religious background, it would be Christian. Right. Some of them maybe were Jewish. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there were a number of uh, African Americans, so typically they come out of you know fairly strong some sort of affiliation with say Baptist or whatever. Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good. To, you can't you can't sort of pay for these kinds of lessons in life. You know, <laughs> you just uh, it's, I felt very uh, fortunate to. To have that time to spend and see what comes out of it all for me as well, just to see how I respond to to uh, to their questions and just to the presence of these folks and, and uh, just um, anywhere you go. I mean, if people sense if we if we have respect for them, you know, just respect in, in a basic kind of sense. And uh, are interested in, in, in their well-being, and um, generally uh, uh, um, radiate, I guess, just some sense of well-wishing to people. It doesn't have to be really overt, and, and um, how do we say on the wearing his whatever on his sleeve or something. Yeah, but just just being a, a generally kind person, you, you sort of see these things, and, and human beings are basically uh, alike in this that we we respond to kindness so this teacher as I going experimented with a 10 days retreat in India mm -hmm. I've seen a couple of those films one was the one on India and one was uh, a couple of American gentlemen leading a retreat in Alabama I think maximum security place in Alabama yeah, yeah. Quite both both films for quite. Have you you seen the one in India or about India? I think it was a book. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw the film and a lot of uh, a lot of prisoners. I mean, it was a big it was a big setup. They had they had a lot of prisoners in that retreat. Quite transformative. I mean, it's hard. Always hard to know how what happens a year you know, uh, later, but. But uh, at least they had some kind of basis to begin uh, practice with. And just as important maybe, um, the, uh, the prison warden who just taken a woman who'd taken over that particular prison, she was really on board. She could see you know that it was you know I think that I think that the woman was was a kind of director of several prisons or something like that. I mean quite a powerhouse. <coughs> and, uh, so it's very important. She saw the value of it for the prison community, for you know, just for all kinds of things, for rehabilitation, which, which is supposed to be, 
really uh, important in, in prison culture. So uh, it sounded, at least at that time, like they were going to uh, continue, you know, model, or, you know, doing some of these experiments at least, at the very least. So that was that was good. But on this uh, retreat in Cameron Highlands that you talk about, mm -hmm. so basically the format of the retreat, uh, what sort of technique that will be taught? Technique. Well. Um, um, you might know, you might know, Ajahn, the Ajahn Chah kind of lineage of meditation, it isn't a, what we call a technique school, you know, that is, uh, we teach, you know, this is the way you watch, so that's why I'm kind of, uh, just kind of uh, stopping on that word. Um, uh, but, I mean, there, there's chanting and there's, there's a walking meditation and sitting meditation, Ajahn Chah gives talks. Um, um, basically, he, he would talk about the Brahma Viharas at some point. Um, we'd give some instruction about Dhamma, of course, just to kind of feed the, feed the, the mind a bit and, and direct it in certain ways. And uh, it's a lot about watching breath, you know, because that's uh, so, so basic for, for, for most of us. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of technique, I guess that's what I can come up with. But uh, certainly, morning and evening uh, meditation sessions will have some chanting in them, and then there's a talk uh, mid midday. Uh, I think he takes questions and answers, written written questions and answers in the evenings. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty full day, but it's uh, there. It's a, it's a good time. Good time. Yeah, <clears throat> on these retreats, when you start talking about watching your breath, from there would you be going into vipassana also? Uh, um, again, um, usually I think I think uh, Ajahn Ashul is not does not usually speak in in two technical terms about the process of meditation and watch for for this and some as you know some schools of meditation uh, for instance Jin Goenkaji or many many schools coming out of Burma or, or Sri Lanka um, there are very very precise directions around meditation and levels uh, uh, and stages things to look for and kind of a lot of precision in other words um, and and the well, okay, Lumpur Pasano, who lived with with Ajahn, Ajahn Chah, as did Lumpur Viridamo for many years, he uh, he went sort of jokingly remarked, "Yeah, Lumpur Chah, you know, he um, he never talked a lot about meditation technique. He just sort of would say, yeah, you know, you, you watch your breath, and then." The breath stops and things get interesting. <laughs> but he, he just he just didn't go there. Why? You know, um, uh, obviously there's some benefit to not expecting uh, because the the desiring mind in meditation is just as problematic as it is anywhere else. We're expecting this to happen and. Was that this, or if that was this, then this could happen next, and, and I can look for this, and you know, it, it just it's, it's just a way for the mind to um, 
to move from from more worldly concerns and ambitions and and, and, and worries and whatnot into into dhamma, but sometimes it, it has this aspect of being rather busy and expectant. So desires is, is part of it. Um, and uh, Ajahn, it, I, I, I'm quite sure that living around a true meditation master brings a different kind of experience to, to our practice too. I mean, I've, I've been in in, in, in the presence of, of, of some of these great uh, teachers in Thailand, for example, and uh, um, so that Ajahn Chah's reluctance to get into the to the to the nitty gritty of things, for him, I think it also came out of his faith in in uh, Dana Sila, Bhavana. So just the foundations of practice, always looking at, at how the conditions are being laid for practice. Because nothing is going to grow in, in, in soil which isn't properly prepared. Dana, Sila, Bhavana, you know, just, just that kind of sense. So, yeah, so Ajahn Achalud uh, does, not, does not speak uh, in, in technical terms uh, in, that, in that sense. Um, but he has a very good recollection and grasp and, 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 and experience, I think, too, uh, from his own uh, main teacher, uh, Tanajana Nan, who um, you know has a particular way of presenting uh, meditation instructions. Uh, Ajahn Achalo also has uh, a lot of uh, very inspiring uh, observations and, and stories about about some of his teachers. So. Um, uh, meditators usually require different forms of encouragement and it isn't always just pure instruction as we'd say but uh, some, some um, encouragement about, about what it, how to orient the heart and mind what it is that we aspire towards and how it is to recognize when we're when, when things are, are, are really working and, and to look out for, for certain things which which disturb or distract from from that from that uh, awareness so, um, so it's in my experience. Most teachers speak in a little, you know, in their, they have their own kind of internal language, you might say, for how to how to how to how to uh, address this great subject of instructing meditation. Yeah. So essentially, it'll be the interview during the meditation during the retreat that will take you from. Then the teacher will tell you. Where, what to do the, uh, once your mind settles us. Yeah, well, no, I mean, getting back to, yeah, getting back to your question, um, again, going back to Ajahn Chah, uh, we, we now in the West, I'm just sort of speaking from the West, we, at some point, uh, those of us who were kind of learning about meditation, that we, our vocabulary sort of settles on, there's samatha and there's vipassana. There's two schools or two approaches to meditation. There's two, you know, you just you can do one or do the other, and, and too much samadhi, you know, you don't get so clear, and that'll keep you away from insight. And you know, I mean, it, it sort of was sort of drilled into us for, for decades. And Ajahn Chai, you know, he he had a different way of approaching this. He he used the example of a stick, but he says, yeah, you pick up the stick, you pick up the stick, and you get both ends at the same time, you know. So if you're if you're practicing, you know, trying to trying to develop mindfulness, 
by the way, your mind is also becoming very calm. And if your focus is on, your kind of approach to it is to calm the mind, that's going to happen because mindfulness in each moment is, is becoming dilated, stronger and, and, and more present. <laughs> they, happen, they happen at once. And, and then what, hap what happens then is, is a matter of, of conditions, yeah. And, and people's skill uh, develops over time about what to look for and things simply to, to continue to cultivate. But, and what's, what's, the, what's the, the, you know, the goal of this, of course, is that when, when, when the conditions are right, all of the factors are, are present, uh, when the mind is very still and very clear, out of this wisdom can erupt. But as, as one of my old meditation teachers years ago, he would always say, you know, and, and this gets to the point of what we're doing, because people are always doing stuff. So he said, you know, your, your duty, your duty, watch the breath. Breath wander, you know, the mind wanders, bring it back. That's your duty. That's your responsibility. But my wisdom will look after itself. <laughs> it's not your, it's, that's, you know, that's up to wisdom. That's up to this faculty, which is always good, yeah. So, uh, I mean, these little things I try to regularly because I really, I find them very helpful. But Lumpur Sumedho once said, uh, uh, only wisdom sees desire. Desire never sees wisdom. If you, get, if you sort of get it. I mean, we usually have it the wrong way around. We're wanting to be wise. We're wanting to become wise. We're wanting to, you know, we're, you know and that's natural. But wisdom will look after itself. But, but we need to know exactly what we ought to be doing. And that's in meditation. It's, that's the discipline. And it's, it's not easy, is it? Sometimes it's quite easy, but usually it takes care. We're always kind of arranging it uh, in practice. It takes time, it takes care. So yeah, vipassana is sometimes uh, uh, spoken of, but but again, if you know, you look at the suttas, the word vipassana almost never appears on its own. It's always samatha vipassana. It's, all, it's almost always, as far as I can remember. Yes. Right. So many years stayed at the uh, Lumpur Chan's uh, monastery. Have I stayed? How many at, years? Yeah. Uh, Lumpur Chan's. Yeah. I I did not stay there. I mean, I go there each year. Right. I stay each year, you know, for a while at Wat Pananachat in Ubon, and we go. This is for the gathering in in, in January around uh, Lumpur Chan's uh, uh, the day of his of his death, his passing middle of, of January. Um, so I visited Wapapong many times, but I've never lived there. I mean, I was ordained in Canada. And so I've been now, you know, roughly half of my time in, in the West as a bhikkhu and now half of my time in Thailand. But, but when I got to Thailand, um, I guess I spent the first, oh, just about half of the first year I was there in a very remote um, kind of hermitage in the mountains near the Burmese border, just with one other monk during the Vasa. Very remote, you know, some elephants and our cook saw a tiger one morning and, you know, it's quite, quite remote. 
Yeah. And um, and um, uh, and, I, and I had spent a few weeks when I first arrived in Thailand at Wat Pan and Chat, but. And, and, and anyway, from, from this uh, remote place, um, I more or less went to the place I live now. So I've been there for, uh, I've been there for six classes, six full years. And um, this is my first time really out for any length of time. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, I speak very little Thai. And I've been, I've been less inclined than is probably right and proper to learn Thai and I've never lived in a real Thai monastery in which case I would have just picked up things even in spite of myself <laughs> but um, so and in Wapapong you know there would always be some people who might speak a bit of English but it's you know it's a Thai monastery so <laughs> did you get on the uh, lawnmower yet? Mm -hmm. no? Have you been on the lawnmower yet? Me? Yeah. No. no okay. <laughs> Just one. I, I heard that you were interested in the lawnmower. Oh, was I? Yeah. No. No. Virtual. <laughs> yeah. Ride on lawnmower. I can't even drive. So. Oh, you can. <laughs> somebody, somebody, mi somebody misread your <laughs> response. This is just, it's just come down to us. That's all. I'm just repeating a story I heard. <laughs> yeah. What does your name mean? Pavaro. Yeah. Oh, it just means something like noble or excellent or you know, just like that. Uh, years ago, I went to uh, my first visit to Asia, to Thailand, and then to India, was to actually uh, witness the reordination of a of an old meditation teacher of mine. He'd been a monk for thirty years. He disrobed, which is very uncommon. Thai, quite famous, because he'd actually founded the first Thai monastery in North America. He disrobed, taught meditation for the next twenty years, and then on his birthday his 70th birthday, he ordained um, in Bodhgaya, and I went back to him. So his preceptor um, gave me this name, and uh, so I, I was always very inspired by that, and, and so I asked permission to keep it as a monk, and, uh, and then it turned out later, I mean, well, I found out later that his preceptor, um, who was in his 80s when I met him, his preceptor had been, was the preceptor of Lumpur Samedo. So that was very nice association for me. Yeah. And when you were teaching at the university, were you teaching Buddhist philosophy or some, philosophy yeah, some, yeah, I mean, no, uh, Eastern religions and early Buddhism, and subjects like that, yeah. Now, why I'm asking the question is, uh, I was trying to understand we knew a person one of our neighbors who was uh, doing a PhD in Buddhist philosophy and she was studying Sanskrit to read the original text, she said. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out where did Sanskrit text come into being and because Pali of the Pali of course was transmitted by word of mouth yeah. until it was written yeah. down in Sri Lanka. So what's the well, story about the, the Sanskrit part of it? Yeah. The early, the early, because uh, nothing was written, actually written down for quite quite a while, and um, um, 
Sanskrit contains uh, early Mahayana literature, right. and then and then there's what's called Buddhist hybrid Sanskrit. So it's just kind of spelled grammar is a little bit different, and, and the spelling is a little bit different in some cases. Uh, and but I think most of that. Uh, uh, um, is, is, is with early Mahayana literature. So, so this person would be, uh, I'm, I'm gathering, I'm assuming, would be, would be studying some early uh, uh, Mahayana texts. Yes, yes. That's, what I, I, that's my recollection. It's not something I've, not something I've um, looked into for quite some time. Um, so obviously he or she is interested in kind of early Buddhist philosophy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, that was a PhD. So, so oh, yeah. a PhD thesis. She was doing that. Yeah. So, it's like the Sarvastivadin yes, literature. Yes. That would be. And, that would be. She, a, I think she was taught by Nagarjuna. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, early stuff. So, yeah, all of those things would be would be because although the Buddha made an injunction against sort of using the kind of high Brahmanic language of Sanskrit, uh, eventually it happened anyway. It sort of reasserted itself within the scholarly tradition in Buddhism. So. So people like Nagarjuna and, and uh, his uh, subsequent generations, they would they would compose their their uh, works in in, uh, in Sanskrit. So my question is whether even the 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 Mayana texts were not written down until much later, is it? Um, well, I mean, he's pretty early. Uh, what is he? Mid second century, I think. He's usually uh, placed and. Uh, what is? I think the earliest Prajnaparamita literature is thought to be around the first century BCE, something like that. And uh, I think it would be in Sanskrit. Yeah, I believe so. Not in Pali. I mean, that's that's right. certain. Yeah. So you only have really one other main choice is, is Sanskrit. Um, yeah. So all of that, all of the uh, uh, earliest Mahayana literature would have been kind of thought through and composed in in Sanskrit, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, there may be uh, just trying to think of whether there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. So this would be a anyway it would be, it would be a common language for such a person to be studying. Yeah, <laughs> for that that kind of thing. Not the kind of question I get asked much anymore. <laughs> just interesting because yeah. uh, this girl was uh, we were talking to her and and, and she was. Uh, and she's with a, from a Hindu background. Yeah. And uh, so first, so, what you're studying Buddhist philosophy, and yeah. then you're doing this, and then she was talking about Sanskrit. I said, why would you study Sanskrit <laughs> when there's the the Pali literature? She said, yeah. No, no, the Buddhist Sanskrit. Yeah, you won't find any. <laughs> you won't find any Chandrakirti or Nagarjuna in Pali, I'm afraid. <clears throat> but Pali was the kind of spoken language by the, the common people as such in India. That's the sort of view, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, I, as I recall, I think it's understood that the Buddha was kind of multilingual, as people generally would be, sort of related languages. Yes. And, uh, oh, there's, uh, I mean, I don't know how scholarship might have kind of <laughs> resolved the issue, but, but uh, there were various theories about Pali and its, you know, various forms coming out of Magadha, mm-hmm. kind of early. You know. I'm reminded of one of my favorite jokes, actually, which is this is by Stephen Leacock, a great Canadian humorist. He said, uh, after decades of research, 
scholars have finally dis- finally uh, discovered that um, the Iliad and the Odyssey were not written by Homer, but by another man of the same name. <laughs> so the so no Sanskrit literature existed before I mean, before the Buddha, right? The things like the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, whatever. These were originally in Sanskrit. Yeah, they're in Sanskrit, but uh, as literature, um, I can't remember when things. What are what? What the earliest? I think it's you know second century, first century BC, something like that. I mean those those traditions were oral. It's just staggering how much. Uh, um, one of the responsibilities of religious elite would be to memorize, you know, to, to hold, because that's the way you learn things. Right. You go to your teacher, what did he tell you? <laughs> he told me this and this and this and this. How long do you have in this? And, you know, they, they, that, was, that was how they learned things. You take it to heart, you, know, you learn it by heart. So, and some people would have more capacious memories than, than others. For instance, in early Buddhism, as you know, the Banaka tradition of, of uh, in a monastery, you've got, I suppose, one monastery. There might be the Majima Banikas, so they're 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 memorizing. That's their responsibility. Right, right. Maybe it's the first fifty or the second fifty, or but that's 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 what's happening in, in monasteries. It's one of the things that they do. So you can you can also see how a scholarly kind of tradition comes out of this responsibility. I think, but um, but, but anyway, the Brahmanic tradition certainly and the. Uh, also, uh, the, the kind of ascetic or the, the wandering tradition would have its own, uh, you know, records, records of things. They weren't carrying around books. So, um, to be honest, I don't know, you know, what dates people are kind of coming to about the earliest this or that, but, um, but it's, uh, it's not too early in, in, in the scheme of things, given Indian history. So. Yeah, yeah. Going to this year, we actually met one monk who could memorize the the whole Tipitaka. What, what was he Burmese maybe or? Oh, he was Burmese. Yeah, yeah. I think he's only you know, one or two Burmese silos left. Yeah. You know, currently that could. Yeah, you know, yeah. The yeah, they've had a strong tradition for that. Well, actually, there was a, a group of uh, Sri Lankan monks who came to Wat Pananachat a few years ago. And the leader, he was now quite elderly, but when he must have had the kind of, you know, kind of qualities, his teacher said, yeah, you should learn the Tipitaka. And, and he did. And someone asked him, well, how long did it take? He said, oh, yeah, about two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Bhante Ji was talking about when he was a young monk, he had a photographic memory. But he tried to show it, you know, show it off sort of thing, yeah. and he lost it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, I remember reading that in his biography, autobiography. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's amazing to think of that kind of ability, because the the canon is, as you know, it's huge. We had a a, a, Burmese, a couple of senior Burmese monks come to our monastery just a few months ago. And, and actually there was a, a, a monk with us who had been in Burma for some time and he was thinking later, you know, I think, because we knew that this elder monk was the abbot of some famous monastery, he said, you know, I think he's a, a Trapedica master, you know. <laughs> 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 and hadn't or had been, you know, in these younger years. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
but even in Sri Lanka, I don't know if it's still the, the common thing for, for kids in school to learn the Dhammapada, for instance? Yes, the Dhammapada is taught, but still, not, still? Uh, not beyond that, no. Yeah, it's pretty good though. Yes. Yeah. But there is a Buddhist university, a Pali, a Pali and Buddhism university. Yeah. So. yeah. But of course the story goes that the monks there kind of, uh, they went on they were agitating that they should be given other forms of education like uh, business management. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because the tradition was that the poor kids were, you know, when you're from a poor family and it's a large family, they will come and leave one of the children at the, with the monastery. So they will, if it's a bright child, go through university and then he will disrobe them after getting an education. Uh -huh. so. uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Buddhist cultures they, they kind of form in their own particular ways and it's uh, some of it's very inspiring and some of it is a little you know, off putting I guess you just kinda of, it's it's very interesting for me to know, you know, the differences in attitude around certain things in Thailand and in Sri Lanka from what I understand, yeah. Like disrobing, for instance, in Thailand is completely, you know, great. You know, if you're a monk for six months or three years or something like that, great. You know, but in, in Sri Lanka, I don't know if it's still the case where it generally is, it is disrobing. It's kind of a social stigma if you yeah, disrobe, yeah. but unless you are very successful, then people feel about it. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>